I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back for another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Metis alongside Sean McIndoo. In this episode of the show, we'll have former NHL GM and current uh, TSN hockey analyst Craig Potton to drop by, chat about uh, the upcoming trade deadline and uh, go back down memory lane when Craig was in the general manager's chair. We'll chat about what deals we might expect to come over the course of the next few days after the Devils and Islanders uh, pulled off a significant trade this week. We'll do the latest on the Vancouver Canucks as well, whether or not they should play again this season. We'll take some of your listener questions and uh, multiple questions, I think, coming in on goalie sticks. We'll uh, get into that a little bit later. This week in hockey history as well. We're going to look at a bizarre regular season finale for the Montreal Canadiens back in the day and the time the New York Rangers head coach suited up as a goalie partway through a Stanley Cup finals game. Yeah, you got to uh, you got to hear about this story because it's uh, it's epic. So, uh, Sean, as we kick off this show, um, I don't know. Did you hear that Jack Campbell has won his first 10 starts this year i don't know i i i hate to break news to you no like this but jack campbell's 10 and 0 no i haven't heard that mentioned it's i mean he plays for the leafs it's they don't get uh, a lot of a lot of coverage uh yeah you know what i have heard it and like i tweeted last night it's it's a great accomplishment it's good jack campbell's a great story uh you know if you haven't read myrtle's piece on uh, on the background there uh check that out it is deeply weird to me that we are talking about a guy setting a NHL record to begin a season, and it's April. It's it's we're into the second week of April, and we're talking about yeah NHL records to start a season. But I guess this it, everything else has been so strange this year. We we might as well might as well go to the record book with it too. Well, exactly. You know, I, just along those lines, as we kind of uh, where where you and I live in this part of the country. Uh, this part of North America uh, feels like spring. Heck, it almost feels like summer. And I'm having a hard time reconciling, oh, yeah, the trade deadline's coming mm-hmm. up. It feels like this, this should be the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Islanders and the Devils engineer a significant deal, uh, Sean. 
Um, let's start there. I mean, uh, this is uh, the Islanders obviously have some flexibility with the injury to Anders Lee, uh, but I guess this is Lou Lamorello's way of kind of pushing his chips in the middle of the table and uh, and 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 saying, look, we're we're ready to go here uh, and, and be a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, this is the the first I would say big deal of the deadline season. With apologies to Eric Stahl. Uh, and it's interesting because we kind of knew that this was coming in some form for the Islanders. Um, once Anders Lee went down, uh, you're looking at that team and saying, okay, this is, this is a real good team. This is absolutely a team that could win. Um, but now you've got this hole and you never want to see anyone get hurt, but if someone's going to get hurt like that, that's a key piece. Have it happen before the deadline where you've got the time to go and um, and, and try to patch that hole. And, Almost immediately, you saw on all the trade boards and lists, it was the Islanders' first-round pick is in play. And it was kind of a question of where was it going to go? and Who were they going to spend it on? And you know, was it going to be Taylor Hall? Was it going to be somebody else? Uh, obviously, the Devils' connection with Lula Morello made that uh, an, an option that, the, that a lot of people were looking at. And it's interesting to me that we saw it happen five days early. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think that's something that is probably, probably smart, uh, you know, for a team like the devils where, you know, even though, you know, I, given that you're giving up two players that have been with your franchise for a long time, I, I, the, the return certainly isn't overwhelming, but there's a lot of people looking at this market thinking that this, this may really end up being a buyer's market. This might be a very tough year to be a seller because, because of the cap, because of the budgets, because the playoff bubble isn't really as as big as we're used to, uh, I can see it making a lot of sense for a team like the Devils to say, you know what, if there's a first round pick on the board, let's just grab it now. You know, could could we wait five days and try to have a bidding war on Monday? Yeah, maybe you could, but maybe then Lou Lamarillo says, you know what, I'll I'll go for Taylor Hall instead, and and then you're left without a dance partner. So it it made sense. Uh, certainly, the move makes sense for the Islanders. I think it makes sense for the Devils and the timing makes sense for for both teams get it done now uh and uh and and then you don't have to worry about something falling off the table in in the days to come you know one of your uh, columns this week sean was kind of looking at the 31 teams in the league and and almost kind of putting them into tiers uh in terms of you know are they going to do anything and it's interesting that the the two teams at the top of your list were the buffalo sabers and the national predators and they're there for very different reasons the Sabres are on your list because, hey, look, they got to do something. Like, it's starting to fall apart, and um, I assume we're going to see Taylor Hall move. But the Nashville Predators, I think the way you describe them, it's like, uh, what are these guys? Like yeah. four weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was like, man, Matias Ackholm is gone. And they're probably going to tear it all down. And now it's like, man, they're getting some 950, 960 save percentage from the goaltending, and they're right back in the playoff picture. So – I mean, I, I don't even know. Like, I I think Taylor Hall gets moved at some point before the the three p.m. deadline, but I don't know how 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 much activity we're going to see. I feel like this Islanders Devils deal might be as big as anything that we see uh, yeah. go down in the next seventy two hours. I mean, Taylor Taylor Hall had better get moved if if uh, <laughs> you know I, I, unless something completely bizarre happens behind the scenes or he decides he doesn't want to waive his his no trade. Um, Buffalo has to make a move, and they've got to make a a good move there. And it's, it's tough because this is, you know, Kevin Adams, rookie GM. This is his first trade deadline in an NHL front office, let alone 
as a GM and, and he's under all sorts of pressure and, and I'm not even sure what he can do at this point. That's going to make people say, Oh, okay. That this is now good news for the Sabres. They did really well. It's probably unrealistic to, to think that, that he can make much of a, uh, you know, make much out of this situation, but that's the scenario that he's in, in Buffalo, where it's, it's been so bad for so long. Uh, he, he needs to do something to offer up some hope. And, and yeah, I mean, there's multiple guys on that roster that could move, but Taylor Hall's the big one. And you've got to figure out how do we maximize the return on a guy who's got the big name and has got the resume, but has not been having a good season this year. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how that plays out. Nashville, who knows? Uh, I mean, this was, we, we had them as sellers uh, for weeks. We had them as the team probably of all the sellers that was holding the cards because, you know, there, there's there's the D- Detroits and Ottawa's of the league that are looking to sell, but what do they really have? I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not changing the Stanley Cup favored odds by making a Luke Lindenning trade. But Matthias Ekholm, that could absolutely be something that moves the needle on that. And, and, and there were multiple guys on Nashville that we were all looking at saying, these guys are going to go and David Poyle is going to have a busy time. Suddenly, this hot streak comes along. Now they're right in the playoffs. Are, are they still selling? Can you sell when your team is just clawed back into the race? Are you buying all of a sudden? Um, I don't know. It, it, and it's it's a very fluid situation right now because you look at, at some of the teams that are on that bubble or close to it. Like I said, there's not as many as you might think. Uh, and there's a few teams on there where maybe we didn't expect them. San Jose is kind of creeping back into the race. I mean, do you, do you push some more chips in if you're Doug Wilson and uh, try to get that team into the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's it's a situation where we're this is we're having this conversation on Thursday. By Sunday night, some of these teams, based on the next couple of games, could be in very different situations. And and you know, there may be some teams right now that are putting things on hold, saying, "Hey, I I know I said I was a seller a week ago, but I'm not sure I am anymore. But hey, if we lose these back to back games on Friday and Saturday, I'll I'll call you back because I'm back in the in the market at that point." You know, one other name that you brought up in your column, and I, I'm really fascinated by this, is Ryan Getzlaff. And Getzlaff is a little, he's a little different than like the Marlows and the Thorntons and the Spetzas in that he's got his cup. Like he, Ryan Getzlaff got his cup in 07 and it's been 14 years, uh, but he's probably got that desire where he's, you know, he could probably go in there and 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 be that kind of bottom six centerman and and that what do you think Anaheim does with Ryan Getzloff here? Because he's also a legacy player, right? Yeah. And you got you got to be careful with how you handle legacy players. I mean, I I think the answer here is they do whatever Ryan Getzloff wants them to do. Uh, and and this is he's he's got no trade protection. But even if he didn't, I think like you say, this is this is a case where you you want to handle it carefully. And I think in a normal season, Ryan Getzloff is exactly the sort of guy who would be a big trade deadline name because uh, you know what, what do nhl gms love more than anything right they love they love that grit they love that know how to win bringing in a guy who's got a cup ring but is going to be hungry for another one uh it, it's this it's the sort of move that would normally be catnip to nhl gms but uh, and probably would be for a player too like yeah i'll, I'll go i'll hit the road for three months try to win a stanley cup uh, and, and then even, you know, he's a free agent, uh, at the end of the year, he could even go back to Anaheim after that. It would be a perfect situation, but this isn't a normal year and it's not a perfect situation. And I think everyone could absolutely understand if Ryan gets 
said to Bob Murray, don't even pick up the phone. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving my family right now. I'm not doing any of that. Um, but who knows? Uh, you know, there maybe there, the appetite is there. And if there is, even given that he's got the big cap hit, uh, there's there would be ways to make that work. And there would be teams that you could absolutely see being very interested if this guy was available. Uh, we just don't know if he is. Uh, let's stay on the uh, the West Coast here for a second, because obviously the biggest story of the week and the, maybe of the month and arguably of the season, uh, the Vancouver Canucks and the COVID outbreak, Sean. And I, I, I can't help but wrestle with this one, uh, wondering why bother? Why bother coming back to play? Uh, you're not going to make the playoffs. There's no real true implications here on the standings. Um, you know, but then I see the reporting of the likes of Darren Dreger suggesting that at some point this month, the Vancouver Canucks are going to try to come back and play. I guess, um, I don't know if it's an ethical question. I don't know if it's a logistical question. It's a legitimate question though. Should the yep. Vancouver Canucks come back and play again this season? What is your gut? Like what, what's your gut tell you? Yeah. My, my gut tells me that they should come back and play when they are ready to do that and when they can do it safely. Uh, and with the, the health of players and and their families and the staff and every everyone around them who's been affected there uh so um is that going to be soon I, I can't imagine that it will be but yeah we've, we've got six weeks left in this season i think it's it's certainly plausible that at some point the canucks will be be ready to play again and and then yeah you 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 do play because you're pro athletes and and that's what you do that, that's the job and and that's how you're wired uh, and, uh, it, it, there are also the competitive concerns as far as the rest of the division, again, not, not as, uh, significant as it would be if we were talking about a team in the middle of a playoff race. Um, but you, you are looking at it and saying, okay, how do we make sure that we get as much of a schedule played in this division as we can? Um, but having said that it's not going to be a full season and we can, we can forget about the idea. I, I, I think that the Canucks are going to finish a 56-game schedule. And I know the league is still saying that. I don't even blame the league for saying that that's the goal because I, I don't know how they benefit by um, by saying otherwise right now. But realistically, that's not going to happen. And that is fine. We said this at the beginning of the year. There was a very good chance that a scenario like this was going to come up with some team somewhere in the league where they were not going to be able to finish the season, play the full 56 games, and that's absolutely fine. You do, do not feel like the NHL is obligated to squeeze in some sort of condensed finale here or extend the, the year by a couple of weeks just so the one team can finish their schedule. It's not necessary. And I don't think they will do it. I can't imagine why they would. Uh, they don't need to announce that right now. But uh, we, the rest of us should get our heads around the fact that the, the Canucks are not going to play 56, which means that the rest of the teams in that division uh, will not play, not get to 56. Try to balance it out as best as you can. How many times have we said since all of this started a year ago with, with the playoffs and, and then this season, it, sometimes good enough has to be good enough. And the Canucks getting back, having people be healthy, having it be safe, play out some of the rest of the season, but not get to that 56 games. That's not ideal, but we knew we weren't going to get ideal. It's good enough. And, and uh, we we should be fine with it when that eventually comes to pass. Let me throw out one potential scenario for you where the Vancouver Canucks could get to 56 games, Sean, and that would be, what do you think the appetite would be from the players, from the league, if once the playoffs start, 
Vancouver continues their season with games against Calgary and Ottawa that were scheduled for in the next couple of weeks. They simply push those back. Um, the games that they were supposed to play, I think they've got games against Toronto and Edmonton. They play them at some point before the 10th of May. But then when the playoffs start, they get their games against Ottawa and Calgary. And then they, everybody gets to 56. I'm not saying I like the idea. I'm just saying I wouldn't necessarily rule that out of the equation. Yeah, I, I, I mean... I suppose you could do it that way. I really would. It'd be terrible. I, it, it would be terrible. Nobody would be paying any attention to those games you know, in the middle of the playoffs. Uh, there's, in, in Canada, there's, there's not going to be fans in the building. So it's not like you're, you're banking some revenue by, by having those games. And they would be awful games. I mean, it, I've got all the respect in the world for NHL players. They're, they're competitors. Uh, you know, we see guys... There are teams already. They're out of the race. We know the season isn't going anywhere. They still go out there and put the effort in. But it's one thing to do it now. Uh, it's another thing to say, hey, the playoffs have already started. We, we need the Canucks to play a meaningless game against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, you know, I, I think we've got to, at some point, you know, these are human beings. Like, like, you know, they signed on to play a full season. They're going to play through the, the first week of May like they agreed to. But to ask them to stick around uh, and finish off a season that has been a disaster in every sense of the word. Um, I mean, at, at some point, uh, I, I don't see the benefit and I can absolutely see the players saying, you know what, we're, we're done. We we're, we're going home. We're going back to our families. Uh, and no, we're not going to stick around and, and play meaningless games just, uh, just so that we can get to an arbitrary number, um, that uh, that we all should have expected that that some of us wouldn't be able to get to. Yeah, and I agree. I, look, I'm just I'm trying. I think they got to think outside of the box. Uh, and you can the think old- of all the scenarios. I, you know, that's the yeah. league's job right now. Is is you know they they don't put everything on the table to start with, and then you start taking things off as you go. And and I think that idea is probably one that's being considered, but that that should probably be the first one to come off the table. Yeah, the only thing to consider is the television. Uh, rights deals that, they, you know, they are contractually obligated to show certain numbers of game uh, amount of games. And then like, yeah, a team like Vancouver is going to have to give uh, Rogers money back at the Maybe. end of the season because, Maybe. Of, I, yeah, I, but, but, but if I'm a TV network, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, if I've, if I've got Toronto playing Montreal in the first round of the playoffs, do Ottawa, I think Vancouver. anybody is turning on their TV to see Ottawa play Vancouver? It's, it's no. not going to happen. I, I, I think you got to just, Kind of take the loss on that one and move on. All right, Sean, this is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun because, you know, Craig Button uh, is somebody who used to join me on the radio when I was under the TSN umbrella all the time. And I, I, I look, I know he's a really he's a great energetic guest. And I thought this is going to be a lot of fun to get a, a former general manager, Sean, with us just before the trade deadline. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, you and I can sit on the couch or uh, sit in front of our microphones and uh speculate about what's going on in NHL front offices, but let's, let's talk to someone who's actually been there uh, and, uh, and has some insight into what might be going through the, going through the minds and, and the phone lines of, of some of these guys in the days leading up to this deadline. Exactly. Not, not our uh, EA sports trades that we used to do back in the day, the real deal. Yeah, let's, uh, to. let's bring them in. Uh, it is so great to have uh, Craig button from TSN uh, joining us. Thanks so much for doing this, Craig. It is my pleasure to join you both today. I'm always fun. It's always so much fun to be part of something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
was like, I was like, where's where's my energy? Where's the energy, yeah. right? Yeah. I can't even I can't even fake the no energy. It just doesn't it doesn't come naturally at all. So, <laughs> hey, what's not there to be excited about? Like you know, uh, you know, the pandemic. We can see a finish line. Hopefully, we get there as soon as possible. I hope both uh, Sean and Ian and your friends, family, loved ones are you know, doing well and that everybody's managing as best as they can through this. But, you know, you know, the NHL season has picked up and, you know, it's, it's got some intriguing uh, storylines. And now we get to the trade deadline, which is the opportunity for GMs to finesse their teams. That's what, I, that's what I'm going to call it, finessing their teams. So let, let's talk a little bit about, like, first of all, for you, trade deadline day, uh, I know TSN has, uh, you know, a million people working <laughs> on that show, but just from a, like, with the pandemic, uh, are things going to be different? Like, like what's your role on trade deadline day? Well, you know, James Duffy, who's always fearful about uh, trades happening and too many trades happening before trade deadline. He sends out uh, a personalized note to every GM in the league, probably about four weeks in advance, just asking him to please don't make a trade until trade <laughs> deadline day. And he'll, he'll give them all the face time they need. So, uh, you know, when there's a trade made, you know, we get the GMs or the players up. And James really is the one that in, in this world of remote uh, television, He's the one that guides everything along. He guides it along when we're in studio, but it's become even more important because you you can't read off of people's body language. You can't just jump in. So, you know, we still have lots of uh, lots of different uh, opinions and perspectives that will be offered. But James will be managing that from his post there. And, you know, again, it becomes a lot of fun because. You know, usually what we don't get an opportunity to do is just to get all those different voices in the same room at the same time. Usually we're scattered. You know, Ray Ferraro's getting ready to do a game. Jamie McLennan's getting ready to do a game. Darren Drager might be on a panel. Craig Butt might be on another panel. We're all together. So it's so it is a fun time. I mean, and you know, we'll have lots to talk about. You know, we got expansion to talk about. We got, you know, who what teams look like, what teams did, what teams didn't do. So there'll be no lack of uh, uh, topics to uh, discuss. And uh, I, I would say Jim Rutherford's going to join us. I don't know if you're aware of that. Jim Rutherford, the Hall of Fame GM, is going to be on the panel that day. So, you know, Jim's Jim's obviously got great experiences and made a lot of great trades. But, you know, he, he's also a very uh, personable guy that I, I think will be a lot of fun to listen to, uh, not only for the, the viewers, but for myself as well. Craig, I, I got to ask you, like, and, and Sean and I were talking about this. It's so great to get your perspective on trade deadline day because you've sat in those in, in the seat as a general manager, as a uh, uh, director of uh, player personnel with the Dallas Stars. Can you take us inside the quote unquote war room? Like, what is that feeling like uh, on trade deadline day? Uh, trade deadline day inside a uh, inside a team's uh, war room or situation room. Well, I, I think you, it, it's always interesting because it, there's so many different parts to it. The first part is is really, you know, assessing your own team. You know, what are you looking to do? What do you feel that you you would like to do? And you know, you, you come up to the day and then you reach the day, and you know, all this talk about oh yeah, teams are waiting for this. Everybody waits to the last minute for the most part, right? Like I mean, yeah, there's some trades that happen, but for the most part, it, it's a lead in right to that day. So. You've done your preparatory work. You, you have a pretty good idea of, of, of what the possibilities are. But 
there's a, there's uncertainty around it because there's other teams that are considering the same possibilities as you. I'll give you an example. Uh, Bob Gainey was was great general manager in Dallas. So in 1999, I mean, we had a good team. We had a really good team. And we, we knew we had a good team. And we really felt, okay, what could we use? What could we do? And our assessment came down to, we don't really need anything. And we, we, we liked our team. We liked our players. And we knew what Colorado and Detroit were looking to try to do around us. We were watching. And anyway, we make the decision that we're not going to, we're going to stand pat, right? But now it comes in what the Detroit Red Wings have done. They acquire Wendell Clark, you know, the Colorado Avalanche have acquired Dale Hunter. And we're sitting there going, ooh. <laughs> and Bob Gady goes, ooh, those are players that get your attention, aren't they? And, and that's what they were trying. And, and now you're sitting there in this great state of, did we do the right thing? Did we do the right thing? And so you, you're, you're convinced you've done the right thing. And, and until other information comes your way, and now you're not sure. <laughs> now we ended up winning, but those are the types of things that you're trying to evaluate. Okay. And yeah, we talked about Wendell at that time. We talked about Dale Hunter. We knew that they were instrumental players, but you're, you're building up to that, building up to that point, what, you know, assessing, okay, yeah, we're good. And then, oh, are we good? <laughs> and then the chat, then you start to play, right? I mean, we ultimately ended up winning. It, it, it's a rarity, it is, for a, a team that wins the President's Trophy to win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, we, we did have a good team, but so did Detroit. So did Colorado. It took us seven games to beat Colorado. So it wasn't like, you know, we, we zipped along through there. You know, and then there's other times. I know when I was in Calgary and, you know, coming down to the trade deadline in, in 2001, and we were trying to acquire a centerman. And we were looking at Michael Pekka, who was in a holdout with the Buffalo Sabres at the time. And, you know, you're having discussions and you're having discussions and you think you're along a path. And then that morning, you know, the Buffalo Sabres essentially decided that they were going to they were going to make Michael Pekka sit out for the rest of the year. So it's not the time that you can go and start new discussions. There was discussions that were underway. and 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 then you know, you, you have to be, you have to act and you have to act very quickly. But you, if you're going to pick up the phone on the morning of trade deadline and start trying to, uh, trying to make moves for your team, you're not going to be able to do it. And, you know, I've had, I was a manager and I know w w w when I was in Dallas, you get those teams that phone at the last minute. Would you do this? And I remember Bob Gainey one time. So I forget who the manager was. He phoned, would you do this? And Bob just said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this long pause. You could hear the pause. Out. By <laughs> like there was two words, right? Like, you know, like no phone at the last seconds trying to stay as you're scrambling. Because really what it is, it's an indictment against yourself. If you're not prepared and you're not going to the trade deadline, doesn't mean you're going to be able to do everything you'd like to do. But don't 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 show yourself to be scattered in your approach to trying to improve your team, because th that's the only thing that comes of it when you're down to the last minute. And and I know I would have I I had that at different times in Calgary. It's like like give me a break, like, get out of here. You know you got trade calls, you got everything, you got to do it. Five minutes to the deadline, somebody's phone, and like no. It, it, you know what? It's so funny listening to you say this because I'm I'm sitting here, uh, never having been in a front office uh, for a trade deadline. Obviously, uh, it, it sounds like my fantasy football pool where there are certain guys. You get that email that says trade offer, and you're like, no, I'm not dealing with this guy right now. And then there's other ones where you're like, okay, I, this is maybe – like, is it like that where there are just 
certain GMs or certain guys in front offices that you work with where you're almost you don't even want to see their name come up on the phone because you know it's you're going to have to jump through all these hoops and and there are others where you go you know what we can make a deal real fast maybe because we've done it before or maybe somebody just has a reputation they're a straight shooter we're going to cut the crap and we're just going to get to a deal absolutely sean and you know that's you know i think every gm you know wants to operate in a in, in a sphere where, hey, what are you looking for? Does this fit? Does it not fit? And, and let's let's dispatch with uh with all the with all the plays, I'll, I'll call it, right? I mean, I remember one day, uh, you know, GM called and he he wanted he proposed a trade. And and I and I he he had done this a couple of times and I just had it that day. I just it was one of those days where I'd had it. I said, you know what? I said, today is your lucky day. And he goes, why is that? I said, we just were discussing in our group what could be the dumbest thing we could possibly do. And you just phoned and proposed that. And he got all defensive, like, how can you say? I said, you're the one that phoned me. Like, seriously. And if you want to be serious, I'm happy to talk. If you don't want to be serious, don't phone me. And sometimes you got to just – and there are places that you will go to uh, to talk, and, and you know that it's going to be straight. Lou Lamarillo was, was always great. Here's what I'm looking to do. Here's how we'd like to do it. Jim Rutherford was great. You know, you don't have time to waste. And as you get up to the trade deadline, Sean, and you, it, it, it's those, there's nothing wrong with somebody phoning near the deadline if you've had those discussions. But those random calls that just all of a sudden come out of the blue and, you know, it's like, sorry, I don't have time for this. Bye. <laughs> so th- th- that does go on, Sean. Don't, don't think just because it's the NHL that it doesn't go. It goes on. And, it, and again, I can't, it speaks to, it, it, it speaks to lack of preparedness. It speaks to scrambling. It speaks to not having your work done ahead of time. And there's a, there's a number of GMs, you know, that I dealt with that were like that. And they still are. You know, Craig, I, I don't know if you ever engineered anything significant with Pierre Lacroix, but uh, that was one of his reputation. Uh, the reputation was always, uh, Pierre would give you an offer and then tell you, you, you got an X amount of time. But if this leaks out to the media, it's toast. Can you walk us through kind of like making sure things were done in a cone of silence? Because there has to be a trust element too, right? When you're uh, dealing with a fellow general manager, if word gets out that you're potentially shopping a player, it could be very damaging to your own uh, relationship with your own player. So can you walk us through uh, that aspect of keeping everything kind of under wraps? Well, I think when you, you reach a point where, you know, I, you know, somebody phones and you start into a loose discussion, right? And it's really loose. And, and and you say, hey, listen, you know, you're just, you're kicking tires. Let's just use that term, right? So you're not, but when this, when the talks start to get meaningful and you can start to see some progress, that's when you got to zero in and say, hey, listen, you know what? This doesn't get public. And if it does get public, you know, I'm out. And, and, and you have to establish that. You know, again, I talked uh, with Bob Ganey. Uh, I worked for Bob Ganey. He was like that. Lou Lamarillo was like that. You know, Pierre Lacroix was like that. I tried to carry out carry out my business like that as well. I did make a big trade with uh, Pierre Lacroix. We acquired Chris Drury and Stefan Yell for Derek Morris in a trade just before the 2002 season. And, you know, but here's the interesting thing about Pierre is that we had started talking about that in February of that year. Pierre had phoned me and he'd asked me about Derek Moore. So we started talking and, and then we start talking hypothetical. And I just said, Pierre, if I'm going to even consider trading Derek Morris, 
I need a centerman. He goes, well, what centerman would you like? I said, well, if I'm trading, it's going to have to include Chris Drury. Oh, I'm not trading Chris Drury. And the dance began. The dance began. The dance began. And we had we had lunch together. We had uh, dinner together over periods of time at different points in time. And he would throw something at me. And I, I just kept forward. We, we just kept discussion going. Nobody knew. And at the end of the day, he phoned me one day and he said, okay, you've been pretty clear about what you'd be looking for. If I say yes, can we have the, dis- we had the deal done in, I mean, we made the trade in 48 hours. I mean, the, the different parameters that went with it. It was straightforward with Pierre. You know, you knew what he was doing. He knew what I wanted to do. You have to be straightforward because you're going to get flushed out real quick if you're not. And I think that that's just the way you have to be. And if you're not, you know, direct and forthright and yes or no, or yes, I'll consider that under these conditions, you're going to have a tough time making uh, trades. And the other thing you don't want to do, like, there's a lot of names that end up in the in the news and everything. And I remember, I forget what, it must have been 02 after that trade deadline. And Denny Gauthier, who was a flame, and Craig Conroy, who he acquired the year before, they kept hearing their names in trade rumors. And I, I never disappeared around the team in the two, three weeks ahead of it. I always was in the dressing room, down around. I wanted them to see me. I didn't, I didn't want them not to see me because then they start to think and start to worry, what's he doing? Anyway... I, I told them, I said, my plan is not to trade you guys. I don't have any, like if something comes along the way, you know, you have to consider it, but I'm not looking to trade you guys just so you know. Anyway, we the trade deadline passes and we're playing in Philadelphia and I see them before the uh, game. They're getting their sticks ready long before. So what are you two guys doing here? You know, what do you mean? I said, well, I thought you were being traded. I kept reading about you guys being traded and, and they started to laugh, but I got some fantastic insight from both Denny and Craig about the feeling is a player. Craig had been traded the year before. He didn't assume anything. Denny was hearing about it. You know, when your team isn't doing as well, you know, and you know, there's certain realities that come into play. But it was fascinating to hear their perspectives on, on how they felt and their families and everything that went with it. So I think that goes back to why you want to try to keep it in that silo. You know, when it when it gets serious, hey, you know, somebody phones me and goes, hey, were you talking to Sean? Were you talking to... Uh, 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 media, somebody phoned you. Is it true you were talking about uh, trading Sean? I said, ah, there was a discussion about, you know, what what a team was looking for. You don't lie, but at the same time, you know, you're not uh, you're not saying, yeah, we'll trade them. Just, the media are good at their job. The media get information. So you don't want to, you, you want a media person to go down, the, you don't want them to go down a rabbit hole. But at the same time, if, if you've protected uh, the process, then you don't even have to worry about that. But calls all the time happen, and somebody will phone you and go, oh, I heard you were inquiring about uh, this player. Yeah, I was, and it was shut down. But that's not a serious conversation. That's just kind of, hey, what would it take or something like that. Sure. You mentioned the kind of the human element here, and then obviously these guys, these players, they're people first. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes, you know, people have got, other things going on in their lives, and you know, I was—I I was just writing something this morning that, that's going to go up later. This uh, about a trade in the '90s where a guy got traded days before his first child was due, and you know, he got the call, and and you, you're going to, in his case, a totally different country. Uh, and and I'm just looking at around right now. We've we've never had a season like this. We've never had a deadline for this. How much does it enter your mind as a GM, or can it enter your mind as a GM? 
to be like, you know what, these, these are people too. And they, you know, do, do you think about the circumstances somebody might have going on in their life before you potentially make a phone call that's going to send them to a whole different city on very short notice and, and kind of turn their life upside down? I think you absolutely have to do that. I mean, number one, Sean and you and Ian, you, you, you deal with the players and you understand, you know, that they're fantastic at what they do. They're, they're top performing athletes, but everything else that's going on, you know, they have the same fears and they have the same uncertainties in their lives, regardless of how good they are and their families. So you have to do that. I'll, sh- I'll share a story with you. And it's, it's one of the, you know, one of the things with the influx of, uh, uh, news being able to be uh, delivered so quickly. And I, I remember saying to the players, I said, I want, if we're ever going to make a trade, I want you to hear it from me first. But that may not always be the case. So just so you know, but but I'll I'll try to be as quick as I can in, in trying to get to, because there's certain things you just can't control, even, even with your best intentions. Corey Stillman had been a draft pick of the Calgary Flames, and he, he was a good player. And uh, we were looking to acquire a center back in that 2001 uh, trade or down that stretch there. And I'd sat down with Corey and his wife and, and, and they were talking about, you know, that they were looking to, should they, should they put roots down in Calgary? Should they not? And at this point in time, we weren't looking to trade Corey Stillman at all. And I said, Corey, you've, you've been here for this amount of time. Yeah, if you want to put down roots, put down roots. If you if you don't want to buy a house, you, you don't have to buy a house. I get it. But, you know, th- this can't be a precursor to saying, yeah, go buy a house and I'll never trade you. But, you know, that's great. As Jim Playfair, my good friend Jim Playfair always said, it's not sometimes what you say, it's what they hear. <laughs> right. So, mm-hmm. you know, so if you're encouraging somebody and then you know, they get, tra- then they're, then you trade them. And that came about, we traded them for, for, for Craig Conroy, a real good player for a, for a player that we needed up the middle of the ice. And I can understand why Corey and his wife, Mara, geez, Craig, you know, you encourage just to buy a house, go do that. Right. But that's the human element of it too. Right. You're not, I wasn't looking to trade Corey Stillman. I wasn't saying like, Hey, everybody, anybody interested in Corey Stillman as the conversations went with the St. Louis blues, that's that's where it was going to go. So my choice became yes or no uh, on the trade. But you can never dismiss, you know, the conversations you've had uh, with the player, and, and in this case with his wife at the time, and 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 try to reassure them, hey, you know what? Like you're, you've been part of Calgary, and you know what? Here's where we're at, and here's where we stand. But things can change. And one of the things I learned, Sean, is is that when you're dealing with the players. You know, you're never going to make guarantees. You can say, my intention is not to trade you. I'm not looking to trade you. But if something comes about that makes our team better, I'm absolutely going to consider it, right? And so that's, I, I, you know, that's my own personal example. We had one in Dallas. We had signed Bobby Airy as a free agent. Bob Ganey had a, had a blank, had a, had a rule. If we're signing a free agent and trying to get, trying to get them to come to our organization. We're not trading them. Well, we ended up in a, in, a, in a scenario where we were looking in 1998 to make a trade, and, and the New York Rangers were adamant that they wanted Bobby Airy. <laughs> they were adamant. And we're sitting there going like that. So Bob went and sat down with Bobby Airy and told him, here's where we're at. How do you feel? And I can't begin to tell you how, how great Bobby was. Bobby goes, hey, if this makes your team better and you think this makes your team better, you know what? I understand this is what you got to do. But 
the measure of respect that Bob had for Bob Airy, Bob Gainey had for Bob Airy, and for all players that was tremendous. And even though you might have to make decisions, Sean, I, I, I think the respect uh, that you can show and demonstrate to, to the players is first and foremost, uh, despite having to make some difficult decisions. Uh, Craig, as we uh, kind of start to wrap up here, I, I got to ask you, you were uh, part and you got to, to kind of, I guess, uh, see the fruits of both sides of this trade. <laughs> I think you were part of, I always think this is the most fair trade in the history of the NHL. Joe Newendike to Dallas, Jerome McGinla to Calgary. You drafted Jerome McGinla, right? You were part yeah. of the uh, the staff. Uh, so walk us through how did the one of the most fair trades in NHL history shake down? I blame I blame Ray Ferraro for this. Now, now you're probably scratching your heads going, what do you mean, Ray Ferraro? So we had Mike Fidano. He was a superstar. And but we're looking around and we're trying to improve our team. And we look to Colorado, we go, oh, they got Sackick and Forsberg. And then we kind of glance over at Detroit and they got Eisenman and Federoff. And as good as Madano is, you can't do it by yourself. So we knew we had to get a, a, a good centerman to play. Uh, you know, if you could find somebody to play in front of Madonna, that would have been great. It wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't possible, but somebody that could play behind him. So that summer in 1995, you know, we had drafted Jerome, and well, the draft was a little bit late, but we really pursued Ray Ferraro hard as a free agent. And he turned us down. I know it's hard to believe he turned down the Dallas Stars, but he did anyway. So now, but but our pursuit of a centerman didn't go away. And then Joe Newendike's holdout in Dallas came about, or in Calgary came about. And so now we weren't any less focused on finding a, a centerman. So we start to have the talks with uh, Calgary. And I'll tell you what, like Al, Al Coates was great. He, 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 like I was telling you about what it would take to get uh, uh, Derek Morris to Pierre Lacroix. He, Al Coates was clear. Well, you want to talk about Joe, not Joe Newendike, you better be talking about Jerome Aguinla. So that got, <laughs> that got us scrunched up in the pits between us. Because we, listen, I'd like to tell you I knew Jerome was going to be a 600-goal scorer and a superstar. I'd be lying. But we, we knew Jerome was going to be a, a, a really good player and a power forward, and he was much more than that. So as we went down the path, down the path, it became clearer and clearer as our, where our team was at that not only was this opportunity not going to come about again, but our team was going to suffer. So as we went down the path and we got to the point, I'll never forget it. Bob Gainey said to him, we we're on a conference call. Bob said, he goes, if we make this trade, it's going to really, really make our team better. But it's going to really hurt because we're giving up a good young player. And if we don't make this trade, it's going to make our team really good in a year or two if we still do some other things. But it's going to really hurt not to have that centerman behind Madonna. And he said, that's what it comes down to. So we were going to hurt. And we had a lot of good young players. And we felt that the time was to make that trade to, to acquire Joe Newenday. And, you know, Al Coates was straight up about it, about uh, about what he needed in, the, in return. And you're, you're right, Ian, it worked out great. And, you know, Jerome McGinley came within one win of winning the Stanley Cup in 2000, which would have been the ultimate win-win for both organizations. But but that was ultimately it. And and then I always the, 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 I always tell Ray, because Gord Miller always jokes, he goes, well, you would have never won without Newendike. I said, if we would have signed uh, Ray, we would have, because we would have still had Jerome. 
And I like our chances with Ray and Jerome. It was We won with Joe, but I like our chances with Ray and Jerome. And Ray always goes, ooh, that would have been pretty good. I said, you turned us down. We didn't turn you down. <laughs> so it's it's all Ray Ferraro. Ray, Ray Ferraro is the guy that led us down that path. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a tremendous, tremendous trade in, uh, for Calgary. I mean, we know what Jerome meant to the Flames and to the city of Calgary. And I'll tell you what, Joe came into our team, and it, it, it was instantaneous his impact on and off the ice. I love it. Amazing when the stuff. fans are back in the yeah. building, Ray Ferraro better be getting a standing ovation every time he's between the benches there in Calgary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he should, Shaw. That's a really good point, right? And, you know, and you know, Ray was a great competitor. Les Jackson, our assistant general manager, coached him in junior. So we knew Ray, like there was really good knowledge on Ray, but, you know, and every player, you guys know it. They, they you know, the goal of winning the Stanley Cup is first and foremost on their minds. But, you know, sometimes you just don't intersect with it. It doesn't mean you weren't good enough to win it. It doesn't mean you didn't commit to winning it. Sometimes it just doesn't come about. But for us, it, it came about. Jerome just missed it by a little bit. But Ray, I think Ray missed it too. He he, he could have won it with us, with Jerome. I'll tell you, let, let me ask you this, the final question in wrapping up, because obviously, Craig, you helped kind of construct that 04 uh, Calgary team, but you had uh, moved on. What was that feeling like watching games six and seven of that series against Tampa? Like, you must have been torn, right? Like on one hand, you'd obviously love to see people win the cup, but on the other hand, you weren't there. Like what? what's that like watching a team that you helped assemble uh, be that successful? Well, you, you know what? Like, uh, I mean, decisions get made and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, they'd let me go. But at the same time, the quality of people in the organization was real high and real tremendous. So, you know, I never... I never felt that rooting against, uh, you know, so, so many tremendous people was something that was uh, in, in my heart, and it never was. You know, I I, I was I was covering the uh, uh, the playoffs that year for TV, and you know, I, I thought they'd won it on the on the Martin Jelena play, you know, and then Marty St. Louis ends up winning it in double overtime, and and then we went back down to Tampa Bay, I, 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 so. You're, I am. I was at that point in time, I'm rooting for Calgary. I am. But when the game ended in game seven and Calgary had lost, it felt like a punch to the gut. I, I didn't think it would, I didn't think it would hit me like that. I remember sitting there and going, Ooh, this hurts. And then being down at the locker, being down in the dressing room area uh, and seeing, uh, you know, some of the players and some of the people involved with the Calgary Flames, like you could, you could really feel the hurt. Uh, on the other side, you know, Craig Ramsey was an assistant coach, one of, one of my good friends. Daryl Sador was on that team. Brad Lukowicz was on that on that Tampa Bay Lightning team. So you have this massive amount of of, of, of conflict between the, the the immense disappointment, and but then you're so happy for people that uh, are your friends that you've won with. I mean, Daryl was a big part of our Stanley Cup team in Dallas, and Brad was uh, was part of our organization. So. You know, it, it was really kind of a roller coaster of emotions. But when that whole, when that siren ended that game in, like I felt like I'd been punched in the gut, and I was not expecting that. Well, hey, listen, Craig, we really appreciate you dropping by here. And uh, hey, look, we're looking forward to your coverage of uh, the trade deadline on Monday on TSN with Ray Ferraro. I'm sure Ray will be uh, <laughs> uh, part of that. But thanks so much for doing this, Craig. This was a lot of fun. My pleasure. And uh, just one thing. If you don't hear me that much, blame it on James. It's because he didn't call on me. And see, he, he's got the ultimate control there. Everybody in a box, and he can call on whoever he wants. <laughs>
What a run for Duffy here, too. He's doing the Masters this weekend, right? He's doing Masters coverage and then right into the trade deadline. Yeah, but he's disappointed because he didn't get to go to Augusta. Yeah. He, 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 ha- he has to do it out of the studio. And he, he always likes to get into that lottery for the media to golf on the Monday. I don't know. I don't even know if they're having it this year. But, you know, I, you know, everybody tells you. I've never been to Augusta, but everybody tells you it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, magical place. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, listen, Craig, again, thanks. And uh, we look forward to that coverage on Monday. Yeah. Thank you. Guys. Thanks, Greg. All right, Sean. That that was a really great conversation with Craig Button, and uh, it, it is great when 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 people like you and I. The only uh, experience we have in trades is you know EA Sports simulated trades, or like you said, fantasy football trades. Uh, it, it's great to get somebody who is in the kind of the the situation rooms and uh, has firsthand knowledge like Craig Button. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, it. It's funny because it does sound a lot like the fantasy football trades. I know that, yeah. that that would drive every NHL GM crazy to hear somebody like me say that, but uh, it does sound like there's at least a little bit of the same uh, same dynamic in play. Uh, you know, we had a lot of fun uh, last in last week's show talking about some April Fool's stuff and and different pranks and different things that have happened on the ice. And then we also talked about Roger Nielsen uh, and some of the out-of-the-box thinking uh, uh, that he had in terms of rules. And we've got a couple of voicemails to get to. Uh, Sean, that, that 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 our listeners have kind of in direct response to us talking about um, Roger Nielsen and and some of the things that that he did as uh, as a head coach. So I'd like to, to to dip into the voicemails here if we can. And 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 this first one is I think this is kind of uh, well, let's say this is pretty ingenious. By the way, you can drop us a voicemail just like these listeners did eight four five. Four four five, eight four five nine. Have a listen. How about this uh, story about uh, a goalie stick and kind of a um, an ode to Roger Nielsen? Funny story about I was listening to your episode released on April Fools about Roger Nielsen and goalie leaving the stick. And when I was a freshman in high school, I'm a goalie and I had faked falling and I dropped my stick about the slot and I pretended like I dropped it, pretended to go back, but then went back to the bench. A real Hollywood acting job. And the team ended up icing the puck and hit my stick and didn't go in. We still ended up losing the game. But the coach on the other team, one of the assistant coaches on the other team was Matt Cook. And in the handshake line, he came up to me and said, that was one of the effing gummiest things I've ever seen. One of the smartest things I've ever seen, too. And just kept going. So I, I got to say, I love that. that's brilliant in terms of uh, that's some, some pretty good acting at the high school level. Yeah, if you can get away with it, and I mean, anybody, anybody who's ever uh, gotten a little too cr- close to a crease knows that every goaltender is a natural-born actor. So I'm I'm not surprised that he was able to pull that off. But yeah, that's I I I, I like the twist ending on that. Anytime Matt Cook is telling yes. you that you've done something greasy on the ice, that's uh, you know you've really uh, you've really accomplished something. You know, I, I as soon as I heard that voicemail too, I thought of so you know what Matt Cook used to do? This like just to give people an idea of Matt Cook off the ice is kind of like Matt Cook on the ice. Okay. So Matt Cook, let's say everybody was around uh Sidney Crosby uh for a scrum. Okay. So there's like six cameras and we're all push uh, pushing there. Matt Cook. And I don't know how, maybe, I guess he must have been around TV camera. I, we played in Vancouver, so he, he kind of knew how cameras work. He would go to the back of a, a camera, uh, a cameraman's uh, camera, and he knew how to, like, very subtly, like, unscrew a little piece of their transmitter so that they would lose audio. 
And he thought it was hilarious that we were in yeah. for Sidney Crosby. And then the cameraman was like, whoa, what happened to my audio? And it's like, wow, Matt Cook. Uh, that's a little hilarious practical joke. Just keep yeah. keep somebody from being able to do their job. <laughs> I, I didn't know that Matt Cook had like those super spy skills, though. That's uh, yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Matt, the Matt Cook that you saw on the ice was just like the Matt Cook uh, off the ice. Okay. Um, Next uh, voicemail also has to do with a goalie stick, Sean, but it's not about uh, Roger Nielsen. It's a, well, a little bit uh, related to that. Have a listen. Here's another goalie stick story coming our way. Listening to the pod, talking about Roger Nielsen and rules and whatnot, and even though it's not a question, it's a reminder of a game I saw probably 10 years ago at XL Energy Center where the visiting team's goaltender who escapes me at this point in time took a slap shot off of the top of the stick. It broke his stick. He played with a half a stick for about 45 seconds until there was a stoppage, and everybody was screaming for illegal stick. I guess goalies are allowed to play with broken sticks. Perfect question for our resident rules guru, Down Goes Brown. Yes, right? Goalies can play with yep. a broken stick, right? That is, that is the exception to the broken stick rule is that goalies are allowed to use one. I don't know... Exactly why that is, I would assume that, you know, the reason we have that broken stick rule for, for the skaters is it's a safety thing. You don't, a, a broken stick is uh, potentially dangerous. We don't want them swinging that around at uh, somebody's eye level. And uh, I guess maybe the assumption is that goalies don't play with their stick that way, so it's okay. But uh, yeah, that is an exception. And I know this, uh, it's funny, the stuff that sticks with you. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I was watching TV uh, with my dad, and there was a trivia question. And the trivia question was, in the NHL, can you score a goal with a broken stick? And I was very, very proud of myself that I knew the answer was no, you can't score with a broken stick because you're not allowed to use a broken stick. You got to drop it right away. I was, I was a little, even back then, I was a little rule book nerd, and I knew that rule, and I was very, very proud of myself. And they came back after the break, and they announced that the answer to the question was, yes, you can score a goal with a broken stick. <laughs> but only if you're a goaltender because only the goalies can use a broken stick. And I was just furious at that. I thought that was that, that loophole. That's dirty pool. It That's had, a yeah, question. You know, I had, I had called my shot. I had guaranteed I had the question right. And they, they went and embarrassed me that way. And, and I, I was, uh, uh, it, it still to this day, it uh, sticks with me, but that's why I know that rule that the, the goalies are allowed to use a broken stick. Amazing. You know what? We're going to stick with goalie, uh, the goalie team here, Sean, to, uh, to wrap up our show as we always do with a little This Week in Hockey History. Okay? So I, I think if you're a big hockey fan, you probably know this story. But even if you do know this story, it's worth retelling. We're going to take our listeners back to April 7th, 1928. Okay? April 7th, 1928. New York Rangers head coach, Lester Patrick. Uh, he's exactly my age right now, 44. Okay? So I'm thinking, yeah, I, a lot of times I wake, I don't know about you, you're about the same age as me, Sean. Like, I, I'm sore all the time. Like, I wake it yep. up, I'm sore, I got a bad back, and, uh, you know. Lester Patrick, at the age of 44, he's coaching in the Stanley Cup Finals. The Rangers goalie in this game against Montreal is Lorne Shabbat. Um... Shabbat gets hurt in the game, okay? During the game, the Rangers goalie gets hurt. But here's the twist. Their opponent, the Montreal Maroons, uh, this is the time when, when teams didn't have a backup goalie, and they're, mm -hmm. right? The, yep. the, the Montreal Maroons refused to allow the Rangers to use the kind of in-house 
uh, emergency backup goalie. Then New York also said, uh, can we use our minor league goalie? Montreal's like, nope. Figure it out. Well, the Rangers finally decide, okay, well, I guess our only chance here is we put in our coach who used to be a goalie back in the day. 44-year-old Lester Patrick puts on the pads and they beat Montreal in overtime. This has to be one of the most remarkable, unbelievable stories in hockey history. I mean, first of all, that that whole refusing the goalie thing, <laughs> boy, I bet you last year's Leafs wish they had thought of that. That, yeah. that would have been the, the way to go. Uh, yeah, I, and I remember, it's funny, I remember reading this story as, as a kid. It, it always showed up in, in the, you know, weird hockey story books. Um, and and it's, it's funny as you're describing it, because I always remember reading about it as like this Lester Penn, this old man going in. This like senior citizen. He's our age. He's 44. Yes. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I don't know about that. But yeah, I guess uh, um, it, it, it was, yeah, it's it's an amazing story. The the, the, the famous Patrick family. Um, and uh, yeah, probably uh, at, at least until uh, until we all met uh, the Zamboni driver, the most famous uh, emergency backup goalie story in uh, NHL history. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that with with Carolina because I'm thinking to myself, okay, if a current NHL coach had to jump into a game now, like 100% your answer is Rod Brindamore, right? Like that guy is so yeah. fit, right? Like who I would think be the best athletic, guy right it's, now? It's Brindamore, although, you see, I was trying to, to think of it. Are there any former goalies that are coaching right now? Like I head coaches? No, I don't think so, right? Think I think Patrick Ball was the last, right? Yeah, there there don't seem to be a lot. There's there are GMs, right? Like Ken Holland was a goalie, Jim Rutherford, but uh, for yeah, it's not coaches. So yeah, I think I think you got to go. Brindamore is is your answer on that one. Although there'd be you know there'd be a few guys like I wouldn't want to go near Craig Berube's crease or Rick Tockett's for that matter if, uh, if I was dealing with that. But um, it, you know the one guy I want to see though, Torts. and you know let me know if I can sell it to you. But we got to get Daryl Sutter in there for a shift, right? Like you telling me. You wouldn't want to see like a goalie lifting up his mask. Imagine you just flipped on the TV and you saw a goalie lift up his mask and go for the water bottle. And it was the Daryl Sutter face under that goalie mask. I mean, that'd be an all-time highlight, right? Oh, man. Sutter. So, okay. You get one shift of Daryl Sutter or one shift of John Tortorella? Oh, boy. Yeah. I I mean, I, I just feel like Sutter would be more fun because he'd, uh, you know, Sutter would, would just be furious at the defense for even allowing a shot on goal, first of all. That's just not the, the Daryl Sutter way. Tortorella, I don't, would we even get one shift or would he just bench himself halfway through because he didn't like his body language or something like that? Just, just exactly. pin himself to the bench. Okay, one other this week in hockey history. Uh, Sean, you want to talk about wild finales. I, I'd like you to explain to our listeners what on earth happened. It's the final day of the regular season, 1970, Okay. 1970, Montreal and New York. So the Rangers and the Canadians are fighting tooth and nail for the final playoff spot. Uh, what happened here? Yeah, this is one of the craziest final days in NHL history. So it's it's the Canadians and Rangers are going down to the wire for the fourth and final playoff spot in the East Division, which is basically the original sixth division back then in those post-expansion days. And uh, Montreal is is a game ahead going into the final game. So the Rangers need to win. The Canadians need to lose. And if that happens, it's going to come down to the tiebreaker. And back then, the tiebreaker is goals scored. Not goal differential or anything like that, but goals scored. 
Uh, so what it essentially comes down to going into the day is the Rangers know that they need to win and they have to outscore Montreal by at least five goals. Well, they go and they hold up their end of the bargain. They they win nine to five. They score nine goals uh, to win their game. And so then Montreal takes the ice knowing that they've got to win to make the playoffs. Win and you're in. But if they lose, uh, they've got to score at least five goals. Well, they're they're losing late in the game. It's it's three to two. They give up a couple goals. Now it's five to two. Now they know they're probably not going to win the game. So what they do is they pull their goaltender with with most of the third period left because at this point they're just trying to score. They need to get to five goals. It doesn't matter how many goals they give up. Doesn't matter if they lose the game. Uh, they pull the goalie, and and it's it was actually the right strategy. It was a smart strategy. It didn't work. They ended up. They did not score any more goals. They gave up five empty net goals, which is remains an NHL record that will probably never be broken. Uh, and they lose the game 10 to two and they end up missing the playoffs based on that uh, goals uh, score tiebreaker. The only time in something like almost a 50 year stretch that the Montreal Canadiens miss the playoffs. And here's the other thing about that. Uh, the, it, like I said, they put all the original six teams in a division. So the Montreal Canadiens, it was a 76-game season back then. They finished tied with New York with 92 points. Here's what the West Division looked like. This is all the expansion teams in one division. West Division gets four playoff spots. St. Louis Blues had 86 points. They make the playoffs. Pittsburgh Penguins have 64 points. They make the playoffs. <laughs> North Stars, 60 points. They make the playoffs. And the Oakland Seals make the NHL playoffs with 58 points while the Montreal Canadiens with 92 points missed the playoffs. In a league where eight teams made the playoffs, the Montreal Canadiens finished tied for fourth and missed the playoffs for the only time in nearly half a century. And, and I figured you would love that because you're always a fan of maximum chaos. I don't know that we've ever had a, a regular season finale. We've seen some fun things. I, like I think of Rangers and Flyers in 2010 going to a shootout like to get that mm-hmm. final playoff spot. Like I think that was kind of pretty cool. Like there's been some of those. I don't think we've ever seen anything like a team pulling their own goalie to try and score five goals and then being outscored five, nothing in the third period. Like, no, not, not, nothing like that. And I've written about this before because every year when something comes, there's always some race and, and there's always some fan base that doesn't like the playoff format. And they go, how come the NHL just can't get this right? Trust me, man. The NHL has a 100 year history of always having some bizarre, weird wrinkle in the playoff format that causes problems. And this was uh, yet another example, the fact that they had this weird tiebreaker and the fact that they they put all the good teams in one division and gave them four playoff spots and all the bad teams in the other division and gave them four playoff spots. Uh, And you had this situation where Montreal finishes 30 plus points ahead of a team uh, that gets a playoff spot that they don't get. Well, listen, this is, uh, as always, Sean, it's been a lot of fun. We loved having Craig Button, loved going down memory lane. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy kind of leading up to the uh, the trade deadline, and we'll do this again next week. Sounds good. All right. Uh, hey, and just a little heads up for our listeners here. Coming up on Monday, I'll be uh, helping out with a live stream on the Athletics YouTube page right around the NHL trade deadline. So we're going to start our coverage around 2 o'clock Eastern time, get you right through the deadline at 3. We'll go for about 90 minutes or so. You can get it at the uh, Athletics YouTube page. We'll have uh, wall-to-wall coverage of the NHL trade deadline. And then we're going to post that show as our regular Athletic Show Hockey Podcast shortly after that live stream and you can get that wherever you get your podcasts and a uh, reminder that if you're not a subscriber with us you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show